0: Hey, thanks guys. That yes. was really, really sweet wasn't it uh, just really powerful to have a time of worship and as pastors not have to think about all the program stuff that goes <laughs> on right that's always in your head because you can just like bust it out and so we 're going to have a really great time rest of the time doing so that true. so so Matt and i 'm also really uh fired up that uh, we get to hear you. Uh, share the scriptures with us uh, tonight, yeah, uh, but you know, before we do that, I, I just got to say, you know, it's just this crazy thought that I've been having that yeah. uh, that we have had this relationship that has spanned uh, four decades. Quite some time. Yeah, that's, that's a fair bit of time, and you know, it all started back in the 80s, Matt, in the, in the 80s, Matt, the 80s were good. That they, was a good decade, they right?
1: They were the best. I had a Hawaii 84 cutoff holy t-shirt. It was yeah, my so, best shirt So it was the fashion stuff it was, was the I thing that made it, it great because yes. there
0: was the, the, that <laughs> cutoff thing and then the, the muscle pants. Some of you remember those I muscle pants?
1: I saw Owen a pair of short o- OP cords. Yep, those I, are good. I bring and, them uh, out for the parties to embarrass my kids. Yeah,
0: the, so the 80s. And, and, yeah. uh, and the, the, the hair fashion, too. It was that women were getting perms. That's right. And men were, too, Matt. I didn't need one, though. That, I had to. Perm, I had to that's right, a Matt, because, perm. because when you, you walked in, that? when I met you as a 7th as a grader, when that's you right. walked into that junior high room, you had this beautiful mop of thick, curly hair.
1: <laughs> I did. And it was I fantastic. Did. It was fantastic. And, and, you know, you knew my name before I even knew you. You must have been having cards or, like, pictures and memorizing the kid's name. Because my first day of junior high, you said, hey, Matt, welcome Welcome to junior high, I'm
0: Lyle. That's right, I was a stalker, Matt. That's right. <laughs> I was using Polaroids. You were, Polaroids. Yeah, that's that was right. what we did yeah, back then. I got yeah. therapy though, man, I'm okay, <laughs> I'm okay now. And, and so th- then we went into the 90s and then uh, really our relationship changed because yeah. it wasn't like I was the grown up and that you were the kid, but we were working more of an even plane together that's because right. uh, we were doing youth ministry together, high yeah. school ministry and you were an intern and I was, was. a high school pastor.
1: Those were good days. Yeah, those I were remember fun. a lot of trips, missions trips. I remember you trying to kill me driving a church van down a really steep road. I tried, Matt. Yep. And uh anyway, there's a lot of stories. But yep. yeah, those yeah. were the those are some of the best years. Very
0: formative years. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, towards the end of that decade, uh I you know, you became a youth pastor then as well. You kinda jumped into that, stepped into yeah. that work with kids. Yeah,
1: and you trained me well and then you like kicked me out, you know? Yep.
0: So I just gave d- you the boot. Go Matt. after it. You That's know? right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, glad to do that. And then we got into the the 2000s. You know, the 2000s. Yeah. You know, we thought that the world would end in Y2K. We did. And then the That's world right. almost ended almost with 9/11. Did. You know, so yep. I remember the 2000s. And the 2000s for me, Matt, was uh, was my my church planning decade. Uh, yep. Planted a church. Became a lead pastor, and uh, and then uh, shortly afterwards, you you I re- became a lead pastor. Yeah, as well. I became
1: a lead pastor. I replanted a church. And uh, that was that crazy season where everyone was just planting and replanting churches. Planting, replanting, merging merging churches.
0: Hey, I merged a church too. (laughs) Yeah, we both I did that. Not the same church, but we both did that, yeah. Uh, Everybody tells, tells you not to merge churches, like it's a terrible idea. Yeah, we'll talk later. Yeah, that's right, yeah. So we... So we get the, and then the 2010s, Matt, were, uh, were when uh, I, it feels like that we got a chance to kind of reconnect yeah. a little bit because, you yeah. know, our churches were about six miles apart. They still are That's right. uh, from each other. And so we uh, visit each other on vacations and get ch- uh, checked up. And then Dan and I kind of got excited about uh, investing time beyond our church, yeah. local church orbit yeah. in serving pastors yeah. uh, through a ministry called Restore that That's you right. started. Yes. Yeah, so so tell us about Restore. Yeah, Why'd you so start that?
1: Well, because pastors need restoration. (laughs) And I went to, uh, we went to that pastor's retreat that one year where it was like all kinds of things going on. Jason, thank you for offering up just the time to free up these guys and gals just to spend time away. I remember coming away from that first pastor's retreat, there was 500 pastors and their wives. And my wife and I walked away exhausted and we thought there had to be a better way. Long story short, God called us to to develop a ministry called Restore where we do four-day renewal weekends for pastors and their wives at five-star places and treat them very well. One pastor... And one pastoral couple at a time, one trainer and host couple at a time, and really deep investment into one pastor and his wife or one pastoral couple, I would say. And um, we love doing that. And you guys were our best trainers.
0: Ah, well, we had some great trainers. <laughs> no, and at that experience launched, Dana and I. Uh, to uh, dedicate some time now, as yeah. we're moving into the 2020s, where we have uh, left full-time pastoral ministry, yep. and now we're dedicating uh, time pa- uh, serving pastors, missionaries, and ministry couples. are a ministry called yep. Standing Stone, and so that was really formative. I don't think that ever would have happened if not. For you uh, yeah. creating Restore like the way that you did. And now here we are in the 2020s and here we are on the stage. It's so, crazy. So I just we want to say is. thank you for inviting me to do this with you. <laughs> this is super fantastic.
1: Yo, yeah, yeah, oh, well, Lyle, you, um, yeah, I respect you more than uh, most people in the world. I, I wouldn't rather do this with anyone else. So I'm glad to be here with you. Super fun. You know that.
0: Yeah, well, yeah. yep, glad for that. Yeah. So, is there anything? Lyle uh, takes any?
1: compliments really well. It's one of the, it's one of his best skills.
0: We just got to keep this thing rolling, man. Okay. Okay. Let's yeah, keep it. Yeah, we got to keep it things rolling. Let's so, kill. is there anything else that I need to, to know that I that uh, that I don't know about you? There's a lot,
1: but let's rewind the tape a little bit back to high school. There is something you don't know, and I think it's a grand good transition into tonight. Is this all right? Yeah. So, did you know that one like JB Williams and I in seventh grade had a fight club? Did you know that?
0: Well, I knew JB was a rascal, but yeah, yeah. So we had a fight club. So. Bare knuckle mat. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. yeah. Well, he, no had, he had gloves
1: and headsets. We'd practice with each other. Okay. There was a guy that lived down the street, and he had an older brother. And they thought they were tough, and so we wanted to box them. And so yeah, we had a fight club after school and all that kind of stuff. And we kind of got some other kids from church involved.
0: But, but were there any rules to the fight club?
1: Just don't talk about fight club, oh, okay, which is that. why you're learning now.
0: Oh, yeah, a little bit surprised. I wasn't the fight.
1: I was like the rule follower kid.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. What are you doing fighting I kids? don't
1: know. We just wanted to do it, so we made the fight club.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, Matt, I, I know I'm going to pray for you in just a moment, so that means that I just need to now pray for you really hard Yeah. before we start off. Yeah. Yeah, do that. Let's go. So, good to know. You want me to pray it up? Yeah, let do it. Okay. Would you go ahead and bow with us? We're going to just pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for tonight, and I want to thank you for bringing us to this moment with these people, and I pray now that you would uh, just open our eyes, Lord. Help us to see you. God, open our hearts. God, make them warm towards your word. God, yes, I pray yes, that you would just put your words in Matt's mouth as he shares your scriptures with us. God, I just thank you for Him, God, and for what you're going to do now in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: Thanks, Lyle. Hey, I'm really humbled to be with you guys. I, uh, I committed my life to Christ. I, I believe um, outside the Ponderosa Chapel on that giant rock out there. Um, One night when I was here, Lyle was my youth pastor, we came up, and uh, this is where I committed my life to Christ after uh, Jay Cardi told me that it was like an onion, really uh, nice on the outside but stinky on the inside, and I was. I was a really good, self-righteous kid. And Jesus made His way through my self righteousness, and I'm so grateful. This is also the place I got my my call to my current church. I was sitting on the lake outside there um, one uh, one summer, and I was praying through the book of Titus, and I could not get past Titus one five, which says, "This is the reason I left you in Crete, uh, that you might set in order the things that are lacking, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you." That was my call to my church to set in order the things that were lacking, and there was some lacking, and to appoint elders. And so we've been training up elders for the last dozen years, and. And God's called me to that place, and I know that I know that I know because I heard his voice here at Hume Lake. So this is a very special place to me, and I'm super humbled to be here with all of you. Um, we're going to be opening up the book of Jude on um, our evenings. So if you would open up to the book of Jude, uh, we can get started. Um, I have outgrown fighting with my fists for the most part, um, but I am in the same fight that you guys are. We are still all in the, what Paul describes as the fighting the good fight of faith. We fight with our minds, we fight with our hearts, and we fight with our very lives. And so we're going to learn a little bit about that together um, this week from Jude. And this is one of the, um, I think, the least read and probably the least preached church uh, books in, in the Bible. Um, how many of you preached through Jude before? Okay. That's actually surprising, but, but not, not many. Um, this is sort of feels like an obscure book, but I, I think it's not. I think it's going to actually reveal a bunch of really incredible things to us here in the next, um, the next three nights. Jude 3, um, Jude tells us why he's writing. He says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you. And I'm going to be com- appealing to you tonight. As we walk through the next three days, th- these evenings, I'm going to be appealing to you to contend for the faith. Evenings are going to be about contending. And the mornings are going to be about tending to your souls. In the evenings, we're going to urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And in the mornings, we're going to help you tend to your soul and give you the day to tend to your soul. And then we can come back and we can walk in that tension of contending and tending to our souls because that's the tension you're going to walk into when you get down the hill on Thursday. And if you want to do this for a long time, like I do, my hero in the Bible is Caleb. I want to be doing this a long time. And if, that's, if, I, if, I, if I do, then I've got to be contending for the faith, but I've got to be tending to my soul. We want to offer that to you this weekend. But this is why Jude is writing. I want to appeal to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And I can say the same thing. Although I wanted to spend my time up here this weekend doing a little bit more tending, I love doing stuff for Restore and our renewal ministry. I love this four-step renewal process we have. Lyle does it with Standing Stone. We do it with Restore. Like, this is our jam. It's what we want to do. And I really wanted to spend most of the time up here in the evening just encouraging you all and talking about the gospel, and we will. But I really felt compelled from the first time I got the invitation to come up to open up the book of Jude and to try to encourage us to Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, the historic Orthodox Christian faith. And wasn't it great to sing that confession that we sang together this evening? Because our faith is worth fighting for. Amen? And the truth of the gospel is worth fighting for. Amen? Yeah? And the truth about Jesus is worth fighting for. Amen? And there are forces that are fighting against it, aren't there? And those forces come both from without and from within the church, a lot of times from within the church today. And so I want to exhort us to fight for the truth of the gospel, to fight for the truth about who Jesus is, to contend for these things. We're going to um, get some uh, advice on how to do that from Jude, who could be sort of one of the more least likely characters. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. And if you know the story of Jude, you know that at first Jude wasn't fighting for Jesus. He was kind of against him in a way, right, in a sense. Remember over there in Mark chapter 3? They went home and the crowd gathered again so they could not even eat. All these crowd of people pressing in on Jesus. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. What did his family say? And who was part of his family? Jude. He's out of his mind. My brother is crazy. He is out of his mind. But if you know the story of Jude, you know that eventually Jude would place his faith in Jesus. And Jude would get into the fight, Right? Verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. And when Jude gets in the fight, he gets in it with a humble posture. He joins the fight with a humble posture. He says, I am a servant of Jesus and I'm a brother of James. He takes the focus off of himself and he puts it on his brothers. He takes the focus off of himself and he puts it on Jesus. He says, I'm a servant of Jesus and by the way, I'm a brother of James. And I want to encourage us to fight this good fight of faith in the same way, with a posture of humility, but an attention of humility with tenacity. Attention of humility and tenacity. This word contend means literally to contend earnestly, to struggle for something. And this is what Jude urges his audience to do, and I want to urge you to do the same over these next three days. Paul said in 1 Timothy 6.12 that we should fight the good fight of faith. That's what he told Timothy, a young pastor. And if you're a young pastor here this evening, I want to encourage you to fight the good fight of faith. At the end of his ministry, Paul said, I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. If you know anything about um, fighting or if you watch it on TV for fun, um, you know that um, every fight eventually goes to the ground. That's where it all goes, and if you can last about a minute, you're going to win. Every fight eventually goes to the ground, and so this is what Jude does. Uh, Excuse the fighting analogy a little bit, but it is kind of what Jude does. He gets right down to business. He gets to the ground level really soon, actually as soon as the introduction. Jude 1, to those who are called, beloved in God, and kept for Jesus Christ. Jude doesn't waste any time. Right in the introduction of this letter, right in the introduction of this epistle, he gets right down to business. He gets to the ground level fast. And he says, we are fighting for ideas. We are fighting for ideas. We are fighting for gospel ideas, not just good ideas. We are fighting for God's ideas. They are ideas that are worth fighting for. And don't make any mistake about it. Every fight is fought over ideas. World wars were fought over ideas. The idea is... Free market capitalism is a better way for people to live than dictatorships or communism. Like, we fought wars over that. That Those are idea wars. Every fight, every war comes because it's a battle for ideas. Culture wars, and the ones that we're walking through today, it's a battle of ideas. It's a fight of ideas. And praise God, there are some church wars. <laughs> There may have been too many, but can we just say praise God for the council of Nicaea or something like that, right? Like one of the ones way back then where there was a fight over ideas about who Jesus actually was. Like Fights are always over ideas, and this was true then, and it's true today. So what are the ideas that Jude says are worth fighting for? I think they're right there in verse 1. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. I think these are the three ideas that Judah's saying. These ideas are worth fighting for. And I'm gonna prove it to you over the next three days. These ideas are the ideas that are worth fighting for. God chose us, God loves us, and God keeps us. Can we just say that together? God chose us, God loves us, and God keeps us. Say it one more time like you believe it, okay? Please. God, yeah, God, God. He does. These ideas are true, and they're good, and they're right, and they're God's ideas, and they're gospel ideas. And they, they're, they're tied to our very identity as men and women of God, daughters and sons. Let's start with God chose us. God chose us. Now, <laughs> I know it's a little controversial like to say that in, in some circles, but, but whatever you believe about it, you believe this in some sense, that God chose us. And I know it can be a controversial idea, but listen to me, it's not meant to be. It's not meant to be. Look, even if you're like a six-point Calvinist, you understand that, that was a church joke. You understand that, that, that if you ever looked at Calvin's institutes and you're looking for the doctrine of election, where are you going to find it? You're going to find it in the comfort doctrine section. It's not meant to be this big controversial doctrine. It's meant to be a comfort to God's people that God has chose us, that God picked us. Because he loves us. You know, I have a 14-year-old son, Luke, and I drove him to school today and I dropped him off. And every day I'm without him, I miss him. I just think that kid is like my best friend and I, I think I'm his. And um, I used to do everything with Luke. I, I had one of those baby Bjorn things and I, I would mow the lawn with him. I, I put up Christmas lights with him on the baby Bjorn. My wife, Dina, loved that. Um, we did everything together and we still do. My son was adopted uh, pretty much at birth. My, my girls cut the umbilical cord, you know, and um, and we talk about adoption all the time in our family. Maybe you have that experience or you know someone that does. And I've learned a lot about this idea from this adoptive experience in my own family. See, we've talked about this idea with Lucas whole life. And we've told them there are, are two ways that, that families can choose to have children. And one of those ways is adoption. And we told them that, that we, we picked you because we loved you. We picked you before we knew anything about you. We picked you before you proved any value or anything like that. We just picked you because we love you. We chose you. And this is the idea. We want that to be a comfort to Luke as he gets older. And we believe it is a comfort to him today. that he knows that our, vam- our family chose him. We picked him because we wanted to, because we loved him. There was not- it was an unconditional love. It was an unconditional choice. And that's supposed to be a-, a comfort to Luke, my son. And I believe that it is. And you know, the same is true for us. God chose you. And I hope that is a comfort to you. I hope that doesn't get you thinking about weird things. I hope that just comforts your soul. Jesus says it this way, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And because God chose us, it means that he's also given us, he's chosen to give us mercy. I think there's a really tight connection between verse 1 and verse 2. Where it says, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. I think that the Father chose us, so he gives us mercy. I think the Father loves us, so he gives us love. And I think the Father keeps us, and so he gives us peace. And I don't think this is a random introduction. I don't think there's random words. I don't think Jude was just thinking, you know, what are the, what are the you know, nicest things that I could write? No, no, this is all intentional. He's getting down to business. He's saying, these are important ideas. They're God's ideas. And because God chose us, as I've said, God chose to give us mercy. May mercy Peace and love be multiplied to you. And brothers and sisters, he's giving you mercy. He's giving you ultimate mercy. I know you know all these verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's he's chosen us to, caused us rather, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he also gives us daily mercies. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that may receive what? Mercy and find grace in the time of need. In the hardest times, in the time where you're most tempted, most tempted to run into temptation or most tempted to run away from the things that God's called you into. Like you have mercy and grace as you run to him. He has mercy for you in every moment. He has chosen you and he's given you mercy. And this is an incredible idea, isn't it? That God's chosen you and that he's chosen to give mercy to you. But Jesus said there's another great idea that's worth fighting for is that God loves us. He says beloved, that we are beloved by God. You see, the good news that's worth fighting for is not just that God chose us, but that he chose us because he loves us and not because of anything that we've done to earn his love. Listen to me. I think a lot of Christians think that God's thinking something like this in his mind and that God is communicating something like this to us. I think a lot of professing Christians, and I will say I will say enough professing Christian leaders think that God is saying something like, if you love me, then I will love you. Or if you obey me, I will love you. But that, that is not what God is saying. That is not a gospel truth and that is not a gospel reality. The gospel reality is that God is saying, because I love you, you can love me. And because I love you, now you can obey me. Like, it's God's love that motivates all of this. Jesus says it this way, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Let me ask you a question. Could the Father love Jesus anymore? It's a question. Could the father love Jesus any more than he already did? I don't think so. Could the father love Jesus any less and love him perfectly as he did? I don't think so. I've told my son Luke that every time I talk to him about My love for him, or every time that he does something when he sins, or he disobeys, or he messes up. And before that, I told my daughters, Mandy and Ashley, who are now 21 and 22 years old, and I tell it to them to this day, there is nothing that you could do to to cause me to love you less. I could not love you more, and there's nothing you could do to cause me to love you less. This is the idea. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you with a complete and perfect and flawless and unconditional kind of love. And because God loves us unconditionally, we get unconditional love from him. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. This is why Jude says it. God loves you. May his love be multiplied to you. We have his love, and we have his affection. Just like my boy Luke and all of my kids have my love and have my affection unconditionally. Paul says it this way, but God, being rich in mercy, Why? Because of the great love which with he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. God has given you the ultimate kind of love that no one else can give you, the saving kind of love that brings you your salvation, the grace that's found in Christ. And it's not just that unconditional, like, ultimate kind of love. It's also in the day-to-day. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And what does Jesus say? Abide in my love. Remain in my love. In my love. This is for you all the time, every day, in every circumstance. And this is another incredible idea. Not just that God chose us, but that God loves us. And that God chose us because he loves us. And that God chose us because he loves us without anything that we have done to earn his love or his favor. These are incredible ideas. You don't, no one else on the faith of the planet believes these ideas. No one espouses these ideas. We do, as Christians. Because this is what God has told us is true. God chose us. God loves us. These are incredible ideas. And I hope even as you hear about them a bit, it makes your heart leap. But there's one more idea that is here that I've already told you that Jude tells us is is another idea worth fighting for. It's not just that God loves us and that God rather chooses us and that he loves us, but that he keeps us. Kept for Jesus Christ. The good news that's worth fighting for is not just that he chose us and not just that he chose us because he loves us and not because of anything we do to earn his love. The good news is that, listen to me, that will never change. That we are kept, that you are kept. God chose you and God loves you and that's never going to change. No matter how big or small your church is, no matter how great you sense you do or don't preach, no matter how much your church is multiplying or not, no matter what kind of feedback you get or you don't get, you know, no, no matter any of those things that come along with your vocational role in ministry, that will never change. God chose you, and God loves you. You don't need to take my word for that, although I hope you're encouraged by it. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And because God does keep us We are kept in his peace. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Because God keeps us, God keeps us in perfect peace. The Bible even says that our keeps in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on him. We have ultimate peace before God. You all know Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. But we have it in day to day. And I bet you right now there's a coffee cup in the general store with this verse on it. You can go pick it up tomorrow. And I know you know it, but I'm going to read it slowly to you. Don't be anxious about all the stuff going down at your church down the hill. Don't be anxious about all the things that are going on in your life with your kids or your marriage. Don't be anxious about all that conflict you have with your in laws or your friends. Don't be anxious about all of these things, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, might, no. No, could, no. Likely will, no. No, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will. Like, it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And again, <laughs> this is an incredible idea that we could actually live this way. Who else could say they could live like that? Only people that are chosen by God, loved by God, and kept by God can live that kind of, with that kind of assurance. And that's true for every one of you because you're in Christ. Listen, these ideas are worth fighting for because they're not just good ideas. I believe they're God's ideas. And they're gospel ideas. And they're all ideas that are part of our gospel identity. And I just want to pause and very clearly say, as Jason paused and very clearly said, like, go and rest if you want to rest. I just want to pause and very clearly say these words to you, and I please hear them. As clear as I can say it, you were called by God. As clearly as I can say it to you, you are loved by God. And as clearly as I can say it to you, I hope you hear it clearly, you are kept by God for Jesus Christ, and in and through Jesus Christ. And you have mercy from God, (laughs) and that's an incredible idea. And you have love from God. And hear me clearly, you you have the peace of God available to you. I just want to step aside, like I usually do this in my church, like step aside, this is an aside. And, and what I'm saying is, I know this is not in the context. So, like, we've trained a bunch of people in our church, and like, they know the Bible. So, if I'm like, if I say something like, "Wait, wait, that's not the context of that passage," so what I do is I step aside and go, "I know, I know." Okay, so right now I'm saying, "I know this is not the context of the passage. I know this is talking about your call to salvation. I know it's talking about the way God loves you in that sense and the way God keeps you in that sense." But I want to say that that I believe you're here because you're also called. To ministry, you're called into vocational ministry, perhaps. That's why you're here, most likely, right? You're called into the ministry. Paul said that he was grateful to Jesus that he had invited him or called him into the ministry. And I believe that God God has called you into this, and God loves you in the midst of it, and God's going to keep you in it. And I know that some of you are struggling right now, wondering, will God keep me? And the answer is yes. If you want to be kept by him, he will keep you. this. Many of you probably know the the quote from Charles Spurgeon, right, the Prince of Preachers, where he said, if God has called you to be a minister, don't stoop so low as to be a king. And I want to tell you, that is true. That is true. If God has called you to be a minister, don't stoop so low as to be a king. You know, the queen was laid to rest today, I believe, and she accomplished a lot of incredible things, and she served her country and the world very well in many ways. But she, that, being a king or being a queen is, is not the highest office. The president of the United States, no matter who he is or what party he's ever been a part of, uh, he is always the most powerful person in the world, but he is not the most important person in the world. He doesn't have the most important job in the world. You know who does? You do. Because you are called by God to be pastors. And the Bible is very clear that pastors are have the highest office in the church. You are... You hold the highest office in the land. You do the most significant work. And I, again, I know this is not in the passage. I'm just telling you, you are called, and you are loved, and you are kept. You were called into the most important work on the face of the earth. You were loved in the midst of it, and he will keep you in it until the end. Do you believe that? Good. I do too. Is this stuff worth fighting for? <laughs> I believe it is. And you might be saying, okay, I believe that these are great ideas, and you seem a little worked up. I'm half Italian, so it happens, okay? <laughs> but, like, why do I have you to fight so hard for this stuff? Like, why, why are you getting so worked up? Why do you talk so loud? This way my family does it. We talk loud. I'm sorry. I Verse 4 tells us. Look at it. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God and turn it into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. We are fighting for these ideas because there are people that are coming into the church that are twisting these ideas. They're twisting the idea that God chose us, that God loves us, that God keeps us, and they're, they're persuading others to come along with their twisted view of these things. That's what it means. Jude literally says perverted the grace of our God and turned it into sensuality. And you know what the perversion is today? The perversion is God chooses everyone, God loves everyone the same, and God keeps everyone. Everyone goes to heaven, so live the way that you want. And if that has not crept into your church through someone, it will. Jesus said it would. The apostles said it would. We're going to talk about that tomorrow night. Do you know that 10 years ago, George Barnard did a did a survey that's found that 25% of born-again Christians said that all people will eventually be saved and accepted by God because God loves all the people that he's created. One out of four professing born-again Christians. That was 10 years ago. You know how COVID accelerated everything by a decade? What, What do you think the percentages are today? They crept in. It's a Trojan horse example. And this Trojan horse idea of professing Christians in Jude's day gave the people in the church a false sense of security about their salvation and these people were leading more and more people astray and maybe you've had this experience I have I have a guy that I know and a guy that I love and the guy I was very close to and he served in our church for a while and he's you know deconstructed his faith and he wants to take a bunch of people along with him you know like he has a podcast so he can get a bunch of other people to do the same thing to believe this lie that God just, God chooses everyone, and God loves everyone the same no matter what you believe, and, and, and God's keeping everyone. Everyone goes to heaven. It just doesn't, just depends on how you get there. This is a dangerous idea. This is not a gospel idea. And Jude gives us three examples to illustrate just how dangerous it is. I'm going to go through it with you quickly here this evening. The first one is God's people coming out of Egypt. Verse 5. Now, I want to remind you, although you were once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Isn't that pretty cool? You, you, you didn't miss that, did you? The Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt? That's pretty cool. I like that stuff. I'm like nerd theology stuff about stuff like that. You probably are too. Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. This comes out of Numbers uh, 14 and, and uh, Exodus 32, where God's people were trusting in idols instead of trusting in God, and they were not trusting God to keep his promises, and so... They make God in their own image, not trusting him the way he revealed himself to be, and that's a dangerous thing. There's another serious example about the fallen angels. Look at verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. This comes out of Genesis chapter 6, I believe, and where these angels left their place of authority and they became an authority unto themselves, and... Saying that you trust in God, in the God of heaven, without submitting to the God of heaven is a dangerous idea. It's a dangerous thing, not putting yourself under God's authority. And there's more to this than, than, than this here. If, if you're into all this kind of debate about what Judah's about, we could, we could talk about it around the fire. There's not time in sessions like this. <laughs> Look at the third example, Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, served as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. You know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, professing to trust in the God of heaven and living like hell in the meantime is, is a pretty dangerous thing. These seem like serious examples to you. I mean, when you know the Bible, you know these are serious examples. I think this is one of the reasons why people don't often open the book of Jude. It's, it's pretty sobering. And there are serious examples because God is really serious <laughs> about his gospel. God is really serious about the truth about who Jesus is. God is really serious about the salvation of the lives of other people. I mean, listen to me. This is not some petty schoolyard fight about something insignificant. I've been there and done that. Maybe you have too. And that's not what this is. This is literally a life and death struggle. Like, we are contending for life and death things. Like, people are going to die. Spiritually, they're going to die. If we don't get into the fight and if we don't stay in it. Which is why we're going to urge you to contend for the gospel in the evenings. And we're going to urge you to tend to your souls in the mornings. Because you're going to need to do both if you want to stay in this fight. You know, um, a few weeks ago, my family and I went to see Maverick. Anyone? Anyone? All right. Only one woo? I mean, it's like everyone really tended to like it, you know? We loved it. And I think the reason we loved it is because it took us back to the first movie, you know? It took us back to the first movie like in an instant, right? And it not only took us back to the first movie, like it took us back to that time in life. So I was, <laughs> I was 12 years old, okay, when Top Gun came out. I was, I know, I'm sorry. I was 12 years old when Top Gun came out, right, junior high-ish. Like Cold War stuff, Reagan, all kinds of fun stuff, the good old days. And um, it took me back to that time in life, and it took me back to the movie. And, you know, my favorite line from the original Top Gun movie is not, you know, Slider, you stink. Um, It is not, you know, you're right, I am dangerous, Iceman. It is not, you know, whatever. There's, There's all kinds of them. Maybe you have your own. And I'm serious, when I tell you, my, my favorite, the time I got, like, almost emotional in the movie, like, when I first saw it, I was like, yes, is when, when he says, Maverick is reengaging, sir. Maverick is reengaging, sir. And I was thinking about, like, this might just be, like, a trite and petty example in a pastor's retreat. Like, there's got to be something deeper than this, deeper than Mav. But this is the, actually the idea. I think this has been part of my life for a long time. I like seeing people reengage. I like seeing people get a second chance. I like seeing people get after it again. That's why I like doing Restore. I like going on those retreats and having a pastor and his wife come, and they're all beat up, and they're thinking they're going to quit, and then they decide they're not. God meets them. I like that. I, don't li- I love that. I like rebuilding things. That's why I liked working with Lyle. Lyle went to rebirth a youth ministry at a megachurch, and he invited me to help. And, and humbly, I think that mega church under his leader, that, that ministry under his leadership, it was the healthiest ministry in the church, and I loved it. I love that. I love things, seeing things get revitalized. I've worked with a handful of churches last year that are struggling, and I went and kind of worked our four-step process, and their churches are doing great. I love that. I love to see people re-engaging in the fight. I love it. And I loved it at 12 years old. And I love it at 48 by God's grace, I'll love it for the rest of my life. I love this stuff. I want to do my best to help you re-engage. Some of you may have come up here and um, there's no traumatic experience. You know, like, goose doesn't break his neck. You know, there's nothing like that going on in your life or in the life of your church. And I just want to say, you know, maybe you're going to be thinking about how do I re-engage when I get down the mountain like in even more intentional ways. And if that's you, I hope I can serve you well in some way. I hope Lyle can serve you well in some way. I know Jesus can serve you well in some way, and he's, he's here and he's working, so you're set. But if you came up and you are a little disengaged because of the trauma, I want to tell you I understand. Like I've had the church planted out of my church without the authority or the advice of the elders. Have you ever had that? I've had that. Have you invited the guy into your church who needed to be rehabbed because he got his, you know, um, he got beat up in ministry at one of his churches and he came and then you did the restore retreat for him and then you built him up and you grew him up and you gave him opportunities. You invited him on the elder team and then, like, you allowed him to preach and then he wanted your job and tried to turn the elders against you. You ever had that? You ever had a traumatic experience like that? You know, I I mean, the list goes on and on. I could stay here all night and I've got one minute, so I'm not going to. But the list goes on and on. And I, I, know, I just want to say, I know the story. I know the trauma. And I know the reasons why you'd want to disengage. This is hard. The last two years have been brutal for some of you. And I know. I shut down a church that we helped to plant. It had its last service during COVID because of some silly city law. And I'm telling you, I never want to do that again. I hated every moment of it. Like, I, I know There's trauma, and I know there's reasons to disengage. And I just want to urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And tomorrow morning, Lyle's going to help you to tend to your soul as you contend for the faith. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for calling me to yourself as a self-righteous young man. Thank you for showing me that right up here on this big rock. Thank you that you've chosen me, that you love me, that you've kept me, and you will. And I thank you that those realities are true for every one of us. And, Lord, we're pastors. We preach this stuff. We talk about it all the time. We make three-point sermons. We, we make our words rhyme. We we go through great lengths to, to make this stuff all, I don't know, new and fresh. Lord, it's just, would you by your spirit make it new and fresh for us? Why would it have ever gotten old? It's incredible. You've chosen us. You love us. You keep us. And you help us to be the kind of people that, that are eager to contend for these gospel ideas. I pray this evening that, that you'd stir us up to contend for them and and you'd give a, our hearts a longing to, to learn more tomorrow morning about, about how we all also tend to our souls as we contend for the faith. I believe you're able to do that and accomplish it. And I ask you that would for your namesake. And we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.